artists just need to know where do I get merch, how do I sell it, and how do I engage my fans with it? And that's really the, the ecosystem that, that I'm building. Welcome to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast with Bree Noble. Bree is a musician, entrepreneur, speaker, and founder of Women of Substance Music Radio and Podcast. Bree's interviews with successful female musicians and industry pros are both inspirational and informational. She also answers your questions about the music business. Bree is on a mission to help you create great music, connect with your fans, and grow your business, and to truly become a female entrepreneur musician. Hey, hey, this is Brie Noble, and you are tuned in to the Female Entrepreneur Musician Podcast, where we talk about making great music, connecting with your audience, and growing your business. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by my free Musician's Profit Path Masterclass, the five-stage blueprint for creating massive growth in your fan base and sustainable income for your music career. If you feel overwhelmed by everything you think you need to do for your music career, or you've watched other musicians and tried to do what they're doing, but it hasn't worked for you, well, don't worry. That's why I created the five stages of music career growth. So you can figure out where you're at right now, learn exactly what you should be focusing on and what you shouldn't be focusing on so you don't waste time and money. I also give you benchmarks to reach in several key areas like live performing, fan base growth, social media, recording, and more. So join me for my free masterclass, The Musician's Profit Path, over at musiciansprofitpath.com. Free classes are running every day, so go register at musiciansprofitpath.com. All right, on today's show, we've got a really great meaty interview with Vanessa Ferrer, founder of MerchCat. If you haven't heard of MerchCat, you definitely need to listen because this is an amazing tool that she's created, and it's created by somebody who has managed musicians, so she knows what musicians need. Also, I want to make sure that you stay till the end because, man, when I asked her for resources, which I ask every guest, she compiled a huge list of resources. She really did her homework. She wanted to make sure she's bringing a lot of value to you guys. So definitely stay tuned to the end and grab all the resources that she mentions because a lot of them are really cool resources that I wouldn't have thought of. And then some of them are just good reminders for ones that we should all be using. So let me tell you a little bit about Vanessa Ferrer. Vanessa Ferrer has been a successful businesswoman for over 15 years in finance and artist management. After managing several touring artists and consulting with high-profile industry professionals, Ferrer used her multifaceted background to develop and launch MerchCat in 2015, a musician-friendly platform for music artists to sell and manage merchandise at live shows. Most recently, she's created MerchCat Fan, a connected direct-to-fan app to help artists expand their fan base. Here's my interview with Vanessa Ferrer. So that's a little bit about Vanessa Ferrer. So Vanessa, is there anything about you that's a little bit interesting, quirky, unique, that's not in your bio that you think that our audience would be interested in knowing? Well, I don't know if it's interesting or unique, but I am a soul cycle addict. Um, I discovered soul cycle at a time when I was kind of at a crossroads and I'll get back to that. I mean, we'll get to that later, but it really, you know, it's not just a cycling class. It helps me focus. It's kind of like a mind body soul thing. And it's, it's really one of those crazy 
things where it, it can literally change my mood. So whenever I need an attitude adjustment, I take myself to Soul Cycle, and it definitely helps, you know, with being on the entrepreneurial route and and like living this life that has its ups and downs, you know always questioning like whether you're doing the right thing it, it's having an outlet like that kind of takes me out of my own head and then you're just struggling to breathe through the class so you can reset and you know you feel like if you can get through that class you can get through anything it just really is a is a powerful um it's a powerful thing and you know I think that a lot of people like don't necessarily get it but once you actually step into a class and you have one class, I think, you, you know, it's, it's addicting. So I'm definitely a soul cycle proponent. I'm an exercise proponent in general, just for that reason, you know, with, with depression, you know, and, and things like that, the uncertainty of, of the lives that we lead these days. I just think that, you know, like exercise is, is the best antidepressant that there is you know, so. I totally agree with you on that one. I'm a big proponent of exercising every day because it just totally changes my mood. Yep. So So I'm just curious about SoulCycle because I don't know much about it. Do you have to go to a specific kind of place or do most gyms have a class that's a SoulCycle class? No, a lot of gyms have, and and that's the difference. Like a lot of gyms have uh, cycling classes, but SoulCycle is, you know, like the instructors talk to you motivationally through the class. And, you know, I happen to have been lucky to get some really good instructors and, and they just, you know, kind of, they, they're kind of like, if you stick with, if you find a good instructor and stick with them, they kind of become like your coach, you know? Mm. And I was really lucky to find um, one here in New York. Her name is Monique Baraducci. And I've kind of been riding with her since she first started as a soul cycle instructor and watched her own evolution. And she's really just inspiring. You know, she, she can take you from like, you know, if, if you're not your best at your best, then you're not good for anyone else, you know, like, Mm -hmm. so it's okay to take time for yourself from that to, you know, be a good person and, and, you know, be there for people and kind of like spread love. So it kind of goes like across the board, but these are all kind of, you know, if you look at the soul cycle wall, it says rock star, legend, warrior, athlete, you know, it's, it's like all of these things. And I feel like it just really gives you strength, you know, which a a gym class, you know, a class at a regular gym, that's just a cycling class can be just that, you know, and I've also done flywheel where, you know, I think it was the original owners or one of the original owners of soul cycle left and went and did flywheel, which is just more of an athletic class where they have people competing against each other on, on a board. Ah. Soul cycle is the opposite of that. You know, it's kind of like, just come in here with whatever you're holding <laughs> and let it out. Uh-huh. And, you know, if you want to cry, cry, if you want to, you know, like dance, sing while you're riding, do that, you know, just come in and, you know, bring whatever you're holding and like, get it out of you. You know, that's so, awesome. And sometimes you leave with, with other, you know, inspirational things from the instructor's stories, you know. Wow. That's really cool. Well, yeah. I'm definitely going to check that out for sure. It, it's I- why, I mean, it's expensive. That's <laughs> why people pay $34 a class and keep going back there. Honestly, it's like, it's like having a therapist. Yeah, I was going to say it's like therapy. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, me saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's find out, you know, how you got 
where you are now. How, what, tell us about your background. I know that you had a background in finance before you moved into music, which is interesting to me because I was a director of finance at an opera company. Before. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, before I started working in the music space. So just give us kind of a tour of, of how you got from there to here. To understand how that happened, you kind of have to understand a little bit about me in the sense of, you know, the the kind of person that I am, that I've always been a creative person. So, you know, growing up, I was always listening to music, um, recording music, like on a tape recorder, writing down lyrics. Yes, I'm showing my age. Yeah, Um, me too. I'm right there with the tape recorder, totally. Tape recorder, writing down, you know, lyrics to songs and, and just being, you know, and like naturally retaining songs and and like notes like you know I would hear like little dings and dangs and songs and it would just like stick in my head and I remember telling my mom like you know I know what's coming like I guess I was hearing a melody and I I would say I know what's coming in the song like before I hear it and she just kind of like laughed at me you know (laughs) like when where I grew up like music wasn't really a thing and like band in high school was was for the you know like the, the geeky people For the weirdos and, yeah yeah and you know I was not that way so I hung out with the cool kids and and I just really didn't know what to do with all of that but I was I did also draw which was you know kind of what I thought I wanted to do with my life I took fashion design classes um and you know I had drawn since I was a kid because I was an only child and you know I had to find ways to entertain myself so mm-hmm. there was this very kind of creative person you know with some talent of sorts. And, you know, I always got really good grades in school. And my dad was like, yeah, you're not going to be a fashion designer. You're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant. And my mom happened to be the controller in car dealership. So I'm like, fine, I'll go be an accountant or whatever. I'll take accounting classes. So when it came time for college, that's what I did. And, you know, I kind of wanted to blow my head off the whole way through, you know, just never feeling like I was where I belonged, understood, you know, I got by, I did okay. And, you know, I graduated, I got my CPA license, which was torture studying. Which is that. something and, I never wanted to do. I hate uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but by the time I had suffered, quote unquote, <laughs> through college for four years, you know, and, and in that program, public accounting at Pace, you know, where it's, it's, it's pretty rigorous and they, they train you specifically for taking the CPA exam. And so, you know, I could have given up at any time. I remember after two years of of school, at one point, my mother said to me, like, you know, if you want to change gears right now, like, go ahead, I'll support you. You may be a starving artist, but at least you'll be doing what you love. And at that point, I had already put like two years into the accounting thing, and I said, you know what, I'm just, I might as well just continue and, and like stick it out. I've come this far. So I did that, suffered through getting my CPA license, suffered through working at accounting firms, and, and all the while kind of stimulating my creative side by buying clothes and <laughs> going to concerts, you know, which just never really felt like enough for me. You know, I wanted to be more deeply connected. So, you know, eventually I left the, the CPA public accounting firm world, like doing taxes and auditing and got a job at a commercial real estate investment firm doing, I was the fund accounting manager and it was a little bit more interesting to me because now I was dealing with investors and I was dealing with investments and, um, 
you know, like kind of like dealing a little more out front and like dealing with people. And there I kind of realized like, you know, I'm probably wasting a lot of what I have to offer sitting behind this computer every day. Mm. You know, like I'm a people person. I should be like on the front line. So I went to my boss and said, Hey, I would really love to know, learn more about the real estate business side. And they were like, well, NYU has a a graduate certificate program. And I got them to agree to pay for me to go take a couple of classes. I ended up doing so well that they agreed to pay for me to continue and get my master's degree. So um, I ended up getting my master's degree in commercial real estate finance and investment with the hopes of moving to the business side of, of our firm or another firm in real estate and, you know, be able to be on the front lines out there dealing with people, making things happen, making deals. And during the time when I was in NYU, I was skiing up in Vermont and they always had cover bands playing. I was always accused of being a groupie because I connected with musicians. My friends were always like, ah, I was, you know, talking to the band again, you know, Mm -hmm. those were like my people, you know? And eventually I met a guy who was in a band who was signed to a New York city indie label at the time. And he wasn't, that wasn't the band that was playing, but he was in that band and he had told me about it and we ended up keeping in touch. And when their record was released, I started asking him all of these questions like, you know, what radio stations are they putting it on? How are they marketing it? Do you have like promo materials? Like, you know, like what's the plan? (laughs) And I kind of started filling in and like helping them with little things just from, you know, and I can probably say this now, but from like, the local dealing, you know, bringing the music to the local radio station to one of the investors that, that we had was somebody in Sony music publishing. (laughs) So my day job. So I got his assistant on the phone. I'm like, Hey, can I send you this record? You know? So I just kind of like found myself naturally, (laughs) you know, able to kind of assimilate into music and, probably because of everything I just retained over the years about music. And then, you know, my business experience that was learned from all my schooling and just like day-to-day work and, and managing. And the band had uh, their, the drummer's father and the guitar player's father were, were co-managing from opposite coasts. And I would get promotional emails or, you know, the band is going to be on this radio station today and it would be in like a million fonts. The links would be broken. And this is just like crazy because people have a very short attention span. Even we're even shorter now, but back then, you know, back in like the early, in the mid 2000s, like 2007, even then people in general just have better things to do than sit there and try and figure out a broken link to get to a band's yeah. interview. You know, as much as we love to support bands, it's kind of like, you know, especially in the middle of the day. So anyway, I started seeing like that the kind of decentralization of management and like nobody really looking out for the band and paying attention to details is kind of, it was the beginning of the demise of that band. And like I wasn't able to, I mean, you know, I tried to do whatever I could, but you know, obviously it it wasn't my thing, but that's what really, but when the light bulb went off for me, like, here's where I can help 
I can like fuel my soul with music and kind of be impactful and contribute somehow to the thing that I'm most passionate about and, and using, you know, my business skills and stuff. And that's when I, I decided that, okay, you know, when I'm, when I graduate from NYU, I'm going to like focus on music. And, you know, I stayed with, with my firm, but I started, I took some classes at, at Berkeley College of Music online on the side and started like building the infrastructure for my management company website and all that stuff. And, you know, so now I have like two parallel worlds running. But the one thing that I, I didn't do was I didn't ever treat music like it was a side gig because it, it was that important to me. So I even, and we can get into that like later, but when I was working with artists, you know, I just kind of placed myself out at conferences and, and things like that, like on my vacations and, and just kind of positioned myself as a person in the industry. And like, that's, that was the beginning of, you know, that networking was the beginning of building the foundation for, you know, even what I do now. So with meeting that band and deciding I was going to focus on music, um, I was offered an opportunity in my day job, quote unquote, to kind of step a foot onto the business side and work on a hotel that we were rebuilding in New Orleans and, you know, be the asset manager on that and still doing my accounting job and, you know, the finance and accounting job, but I was also doing the asset management role. And I had a couple of people who were kind of behind me in the firm and we're kind of like, yeah, you know, like let's give her some more stuff. But what I didn't realize was happening was that they were giving me more work, but they were never really acknowledging me as a person who could transition over. Like I was kind of like branded an accountant. And mm. if you looked at our organizational structure, you know, there was maybe one female at at the time, and then she was gone, one female on the business side. So the entire investment and asset management team were men. And the females, professionals in the company were either accountants or attorneys or executive assistants. So I was branded an accountant. And I, you know, at that point, I had the education. I was, I had the experience because this hotel, I worked on it for 24 months and it opened on time on budget. I was basically our eyes and ears and the two people above me left during the time frame oh. that, you know, we were working on it. So I was doing both of these jobs, you know, accounting, like running the fund as far as like all doing all of the financials. And, you know, I had one person working under me but I was still managing all of that and being the asset manager on multiple projects and getting everything done without a problem and working with my artists that had come on to the management company on the side. So sometimes- So I have to ask it, you this, did they, did they change your title during this time? Did they give no. you the pay that you deserved for all this extra work you were doing? Well, they did. At one point, there was a little bit of a recession or downturn in the real estate market. So our bonuses were dependent on, on that. And, you know, at a time when nobody else got a raise in my accounting group, <laughs> they gave me a little bit extra because they had to. But my title didn't change. My location didn't change. And, you know, it was kind of clear to me that I could sit here and do cartwheels and, and jump over hoops. And, it, like, it was never going to change. You which know, is kind of crazy because they just invested a bunch of money in you. Right, which you did not make sense at all. 
So I don't know really what the real reasons were. I mean, there were points in time. So then our company got acquired and everyone was kind of like flailing. Nobody knew what their future held. And I saw people get really ugly at this time. And, you know, like somebody who had been really a supporter of mine kind of threw me under the bus because I didn't answer a question that he asked me because I was on a plane off to New Orleans to be doing that job, you know, and it was kind of like, at that point, I was just like, okay, like, I felt like people were taking like one thing, taking it out of context. And, you know, then there was the, oh, you know, some people here feel you have a sense of entitlement. Why? Because I've been here for 14 years and I know the value and I know what I've accomplished. If I, you know, I feel like if I was a man, they never, they would have said I was ambitious. And I'm not really one to be like, oh, you know, if they say this and you're a female, then, you know, they would have never said that if you were male, like I, if, if it's not warranted. But when I heard that, I was like, that is just preposterous. Like, but you know, I had to eat it because that was the perception. And so future was uncertain there at that point because we got acquired and they kind of, and I, they hadn't moved me to the business side. So I was still under the accounting and finance umbrella. And a year later, they came and said, okay, well, we're going to uh, outsource the accounting department mm-hmm. and we're going to keep two people from finance here. And, you know, this one's going to go here and this one's going to go there. And then everybody else, we're going to outsource, but we have a job for you at the place we're outsourcing to. And if you don't take the job, it's a voluntary resignation. And at that point, I had already had the idea for MerchCat. And, you know, it was kind of burning in me. And I came into some money from an investment that I had um, with the firm. You know, they used to occasionally let us invest side by side with them. And um, I did. So one of those investments came to fruition. So it was kind of like the money was there, the idea was there. And, you know, I was at this crossroads and, and they're basically after 14 years and not kind of acknowledging because basically if I would have been moved to the business side, I wouldn't have been outsourced. Right. Right. So I wouldn't have been in that position. So there were like eight of us and I was one out of eight that said, no, thank you. Huh. You can go take that <laughs> where you want to take uh-huh. it and shove it. And I've been here for 14 years. I've done all of this stuff. I have institutional knowledge. I am not going to go become an employee of that company and be work for an accounting sweatshop when I had the master's degree in, in the business side and had worked all of that. I would have been devaluing myself by, yeah. by taking that position. And so, you know, I said no. And I said, I'm happy to work with you and come up with a mutually uh, beneficial arrangement you know, I'll help you through your transition, but I'm not going to go become an employee of that company. And so, you know, it was a very trying time. It was frustrating. I was getting up every day and I did not want to go to work. I was depressed. I was, that's kind of when I found SoulCycle. Right. <laughs> because at the same time, my, the uh, artist I had been working with and had put so much time and energy into, like we decided to part ways. You know, it was definitely 
for the best, but kind of the way that it whole went down, the, the whole thing went down was just kind of, it was, it was just really disheartening. And I kind of felt at that point that I was in control of, of no, nothing in my life. And, and SoulCycle really helped me, it just helped my mindset, I think, through that whole thing. So told them to shove it, left, and here we are. <laughs> wow. So later. during this time you were doing Four the artist later. development on the side. Yeah. You, like how many artists did you work with while you were still doing this other full-time job? Well, primarily I was working with one be- specifically because of the fact that I just couldn't give time. Right. To, I just was spread so thin already. And, you know, I didn't think it would be fair to anybody else. I did look, talk to other artists from time to time and entertain the idea. But emerging artists and baby bands, they need so much attention that, yeah. you know, and so much help in, in every aspect, like unless it was somebody who I could easily bring into the fold and kind of just kind of piggyback off of what I was already doing, it, it just didn't make sense. But it, after that, in between, like there was kind of like a year in between before Merch Cat. So I was kind of helping, uh, working with a couple of other people on a, you know, quote unquote, consulting basis. I would say like all in total through the years, I think, I, you know, it was probably like five or six artists that, that I had done something for and even still <laughs> do in my own way when I can, you know, because management is really where my heart is, mm. helping artists achieve their dream. And what did you find with working those artists is kind of the common threads of the places that they really need help, especially when they're beginning, like what, what are their misconceptions about what they should be doing and, you know, that kind of stuff? Well, it's a hard thing to say, but most artists are, are not focused on the business side. And when you're an emerging artist, you're, you're a startup, you're an entrepreneur and you're a startup, like, just like I am now with MerchCat. And sometimes that means being able to do things yourself, you know? And I think that we're lucky in the sense these days that, that we have ways to be able to do things ourselves without paying people thousands of dollars that we don't have <laughs> to get those things accomplished. So I think that understanding the business side and, and understanding how much effort it takes to even just get someone to listen to your music, you know, yep. um, you don't know that until you've done it yourself. And I just helped a friend's band release a record and I was telling them for, for like weeks, you know, you need to do this, you need to do that. And then the day comes and, and some of the things still weren't done, you know, but it, it's, it's, it's kind of a little bit of the, I don't know if it's intentional or not, but I think sometimes it is <laughs> not focusing on the business side, like putting that as a last priority. And I think that it has to have an ebb and flow with the creative side, you know, and we can't always dictate when our creativity comes. I find that now even with Merch Cat because I do all of the marketing myself. And, you know, sometimes I have to sit down and create marketing assets and, and it's, it's kind of not just like creation on, on command. You can't right. summon it, but you, you kind of have to be able to balance both and at least at minimum have a website and understand why that's important. And if someone's telling you that it's important, like take that advice. We're not just telling you that because we like to hear ourselves talk. Like we're <laughs> telling you that because we're out there and in it. And I like, sorry, back to the question. I think that a lot of times 
artists think that they know better than, than the business people. And there are times when they might, especially when it comes to creative things. But, you know, with the website example, with people urging you like to be on a timeline when it comes to a record release, like there's a reason all of those things need to come together at once, you know, to build momentum. Like, so just like, I find that they need to be, I think artists need to be a little bit more open-minded and, and really heed what they're hearing. And I, I know that that can be confusing sometimes because people contradict themselves. <laughs> like, you know, even if you go out there on the internet and Google something, someone may give you advice on touring, you know, start in your hometown. But if your hometown doesn't have the type of people that listen to your music, maybe you can't start in your hometown. So, it, you know, there, there are times when things need to be taken with a grain of salt, but the common thread that I definitely see is, or artists hear what we're telling them and, and they know they just don't do it. <laughs> Execution. Right. So and I think, you know, you can probably identify with this because I've experienced this over the years is that those of us who deal with a lot of musicians and deal with a lot of bands, we see the big picture of like how many bands and artists there are out there and the competition and you know, how you really have to do everything at the top level if you're going to be noticed and you're going to make an impact. And they're so like focused on, this is our thing and it's the most awesome thing out there. And once we release it, everyone's just going to freak out. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and, and that doesn't, I mean, I, the band I'm working with now, like I may be a little biased, but I kind of feel like when they write together, they are, they're genius. Mm. And even they, still don't listen to me all the time, you know, <laughs> and, and they know, you know, one of them is in a major a band that has had major success and, you know, is still active today, but this is his side project, his, his baby with somebody else. And he knows, but he's, you know, he's off in his own world. And, and the other one is, is off being creative, doing what he does, you know, with recording and stuff and, and, score scoring for films and and wonderful things but if i tell you that you need to go in and put your credit card number in to pay for the cds that we just ordered so we have them uh. <laughs> for the release and you do it five days later don't cry to me when you don't have them like it's just like those little kind of little things so it, it happens from for the most seasoned people down to you know the most inexperienced people but because artists are artists, but I think that if, if you're venturing to be an artist today and, you know, kind of taking it in, into your own hands, it's, it's really important to, to focus on those things. And absolutely. Execute. Absolutely. Timely. Well, so, yes. Timely. <laughs> timely <laughs> well, let's talk about how you got the idea for Merch Cat. And, you know, did you see working with these artists and bands, did you see like a real need in the marketplace for Merch Cat? What were, what, were pe what were people's frustrations that said to you like, oh, I need to build this? Well, it was really my own frustration. Ah, there we <laughs> <Yeah>. go. <laughs> so right away when I started working with my artists, I'm like, okay, like we need to get you a brand and a logo and, you know, kind of establish your brand. Because at that point, it was really when you know, the artist as a brand. I mean, it's always been, but that's when people started really talking about it a lot. And it was right. a topic at a lot of, you know, uh, 
in a lot of publications and, and at a lot of conferences, the artist as a brand. So um, we had, and, and I said, okay, merchandise, like we have to get merchandise so it could help promote you. I don't even know if I was really thinking about the revenue part at, at that moment when I said that. It was just really a way to identify him as an artist. So we created the brand. I was very particular about the shirt that, that we used. We had gotten, um, he had worked, he was a cancer survivor and we had worked with an organization called Immerman Angels, um, which is a cancer mentoring. So if, if somebody had breast cancer and they're a survivor, they can mentor somebody who's going through it right mm-hmm. now and for the family members. So I just I'm throwing that out there because I think it's a wonderful organization. Totally. Um, so we started working with them a little bit and, you know, establishing a relationship and they sent us some t-shirts and when we got the t-shirt, I'm like, wow, this is like the best ladies t-shirt ever. (laughs) So we have to have ladies t-shirts and we have to have this shirt. (laughs) So we set out and made those shirts and, and, you know, went through like making the designs and stuff and people were definitely receptive to them and, and the designs but I was getting reports back of, you know, like a word document that said we sold, you know, two small ladies teas at this venue. And, you know, I was trying to figure out what was going on in the merch business. So I was using Excel spreadsheets from PayPal and word documents and tally sheets and, you know, trying to put all the pieces together. And I was like, this is absolutely insane (laughs) that I'm sitting here, you know, spending me, accountants, you know, (laughs) CPA, numbers person, not really, but (laughs) sitting here and it's frustrating for me. Like, I can't imagine like artists who have to do it themselves. Like they're probably just not doing it. And Oh, I know. I used to send myself notes. I used to make notes on my phone at the show. Like I sold this, 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 and this, and then I'd like email it to myself. And that was, and then I'd put it into a spreadsheet. Yeah. So seeing that and, and having, you know, I was already busy. (laughs) So to do that was just not the most efficient use of my time. And to know that artists themselves were probably not doing it and not being able to figure out like when it came time to reorder or we had, we put on this big concert slash charity event to know what to order because what is our fan base buying? There was no way for me to really tell except going through that process and trying to figure it out through all of those different means. And, you know, my accounting mind just said, if I'm sitting there swiping a card anyway, why can't it just talk to something that reduces my inventory and then spits out a report? Right. (laughs) You know, shouldn't be that hard. And I went looking for it I couldn't find it. I think my primary competitor was still didn't exist at that time. Either that or their product was just too expensive for us. And that's when I kind of put that little thought in the back of my mind and I stored it there. And then we had, uh, we put on a big concert slash charity event. So the, the other issue that I ran into with that was I wasn't going to be able to be at the merch table because I was running around with production my artist girlfriend, who was normally the keeper of the cash and the running of the PayPal, wanted to watch the show, so she couldn't do it, and we were going to have one of her friends do it, but now I was going to have to give open up my PayPal account to them right. <laughs> and have them logged into my, my PayPal account 
through PayPal. And I just being uncertain about continuity of information and, and things like that. So that was something else that I considered when, when creating MergeCat, the ability to kind of pass it on no matter who's running your merge table. So, you know, all those thoughts went into, into the vault. And when my company and I parted ways, my day job, I decided to just go for it and, and take a chance on myself. So you invested your own money. Did you find people to build it for you? Yes. Uh, I had some relationships in Atlanta in the music industry, and you can find it in one of my interviews somewhere, but Mama Jan Smith, who is best known as the vocal coach for Justin Bieber and Usher, I had been working with her for a little while, trying to get in helping her with her with her own management <laughs> of of her stuff and she was creating a vocal app at the time and so i met her developers and that's who ended up being the initial developers on my app so yeah i had the vision and the idea and i found people to build it for me cool so why don't you run down like the features of merchcat like why would a musician want to use merchcat well primarily for the reasons that that we just discussed but you know the 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 number one thing that artists have to remember today is that is that well without artists there is no music and without fans there is no business <laughs> so right. you really need and and eighty percent of merch sales occur at the live show so you really need to be able to engage your fans at shows and have what they want if you don't know what you're selling and what inventory you have you're not knowing what they want because you're not seeing what people are buying. So that's really, you know, knowing what's sold at what show, uh, seeing what people are buying, the organization of it all and the facilitation of accepting cars and cash in the same place, having everything run through one gateway. And, and as you're pushing one or two more buttons that you would if you were like running a card through Square, you're actually keeping track of your inventory real time. And then the accountability of seeing what you're doing. Cause you're like, Oh yeah, we killed it in merch. It felt like we did <laughs> at right. that show. And then you look at what you sold and you sold, you know, four t-shirts in, uh, and there were like 500 people at your show. Maybe there's something that you can be doing better to sell the merch because most of the time your fans want something you know, so whether it was that you didn't say that you had merch or they couldn't find the merch table or the line was too long, whatever it was, the looking at the numbers kind of makes you accountable. And I know <laughs> we don't always like to look at that. It's like, I don't like to look at my bank account every day uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> and see the reality of what's going on, but eventually you have to. <laughs> so to take one of the most lucrative revenue streams for an artist, which, which is merch, it can be if you do it the right way. Artists need to be taking advantage of that as, as much as they can. And, and we try and help in, in an easy way. I totally agree. Now, do you have your own pay gateway? Like, are, are you using Stripe or PayPal? Or? Uh, we are connected to Square and PayPal. Okay. Uh, we launched with, so one of my things in creating the app was I didn't want there to have to be two apps that people right. were using. 
So I wanted the, the gateway to connect directly. And PayPal was the only one that had the ability for us to do that at that time. Then I discovered after launching that every artist was already using Square to take credit cards because Square is a much more creator-friendly company, I think. Um, And then PayPal has these crazy rules these days where they could hold your money up to 30 days. Totally. Over $500, which is just absolutely ridiculous. So we do still have the PayPal gateway, but I don't really promote it that much. But we added Square uh, to accommodate the artist demand that way. So it, it just opens up directly from our app and goes back and forth. That's really cool. Yeah. Square is awesome. I always use that when yeah. I was selling things. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, oh, that's, and, and you guys are so affordable. Like I, I hadn't looked at it until just yesterday and I was looking at, I'm like, wow, the price is so affordable. Yeah. That was intentional. I mean, you know, we, I wanted to make merch management accessible to every artist because I just believe in how important it is. Uh, getting artists to join in my belief is not always <laughs> the easiest thing. And, and I realize now why, because being a startup, you don't always know what cash you're going to have on hand and having a lot of subscriptions and not remembering when the money is coming out, you may not have the money there. So our next thing will be to add a freemium model with a percentage of sales. I mean, onset, I think, you know, we were kind of looking to make it that easy. You know, if you sell four t-shirts for $80, you, or, you know, five t-shirts, you basically like, covered your costs for a year. I know. I mean, if you learn anything from your data and you sell one more t-shirt a month, you've made it back at least. Right. Right. But I think it's the timing of the cash thing for a lot of artists. So they're a little uh, subscription averse, which wasn't really known to me when, when we launched. Had I known then what I know now, I probably would have done it the opposite way. I would have created a freemium model and then added a subscription model once we had, you know, for the artists who are killing it out there. Right. And, and once you get up to a certain and, volume, it's worth right. it to do the subscription. Exactly. So, um, but yes, we, I mean, I, the whole point of the app was it to be easy for artists to use, not for a right. business person, for an artist. It's, it's a clean interface. It's intuitive. Like I said, it's about two more steps than, than using Square. And we wanted to have a cool brand also because I didn't want artists to be like, oh, this is QuickBooks, like run in the other yes. direction. <laughs> it's a spreadsheet. So we have a cool brand. We have a, you know, we're very musician friendly and, and that was done intentionally. Yeah, I love all that. And me being business minded, I'm like, your price is so affordable. But I suppose that musicians that are, like you said, start, total startups, they don't know what they're going to sell. It would be hard to just jump on board right away. So I think that'll be really cool when you offer that as well. But to you know, from my perspective, I think everyone should go get this because I think it's it's like a no brainer. It makes life easier. And as you said, like allowing other people to run your merch table easily without like a ton of training and like, Oh, then you put something on this spreadsheet over here and then you take this off of here, you know, Oh, it's going to be so much better for people. Right. And they can do it on their own device. Yes. That is a key. I don't want to hand some person. I don't know my phone, you know, exactly. And you know, you can get a fan, 
to do it. And, you know, a fan you trust, obviously. <laughs> and you could have more people working your table so there won't be a huge line and you won't lose sales. Right. Uh, our, our, I think it's still on our website, you know, so easy. Your little brother can run your merch table. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> love it. Yeah. Um, for me, it would be like so easy that your kid, cause my four-year-old daughter used to help me set up my merch table. Like, yeah. You could run it, which she probably could. Cause she's, you know, grown up in the technology age. Listen, I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago back in, in May and this one-year-old, I turned to look, he was uh, the, the son of my booth neighbor and they had the carriage there and I turned to look at what he was doing and he was just like on the phone. <laughs> so, so easy, your infant son can, can run your merch table. Absolutely. He wasn't using merch cap, but he was definitely <laughs> engaged in the phone and like with confidence on his That's site. funny. Yeah. It wasn't kind of like, oh, what's this? It was kind of like, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm doing oh, what mommy yeah. does all the time. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> well, I saw in your, your, um, the information that you sent me that you have a new part coming out soon that relates to fan, um, getting more fans. So what, how does that have to do with what you've got already for Merch Cat? So being out at, conferences, having the table, talking to artists, and then kind of really coming to the epiphany that 80% of merch sales take place at, at live shows. Uh, and I've spoken on a couple of fan engagement panels about how to use merchandise as, as fan engagement tool. It kind of became glaring to me that there need, needed to be better ways, because I don't really think that there are any ways <laughs> at this point for artists to be able to capture the fans at the live show other than them standing online at the merch table. And so having a virtual merch table where fans can go in, buy the item on their own, um, and then have the option to pick it up at the merch table or ship mm -hmm. it to home. And then leaving the ability open for, and it's at the artist's discretion, but to buy merchandise after the show, anytime, anywhere. So it's, it's for a couple of things. It's for, well, buying in the show is, is obvious. You know, you don't want to wait online. You're, you want to buy something from the opener, but you want to keep your spot in front of the stage and you don't want to deal with it later. So, um, you know, to buy in their own app. And then, for those moments where the fan walked past the merch line and then they get to their car and they're like, shit, I really wanted that. <laughs> I wish I had a way to buy it. Or the, you know, for the items that are sold at the show only, but there is a way that you could still get it. Or for the person that wanted to go to the show, but couldn't because they were working and their, their friend went and got the cool new shirt. And now their friend wishes they could have had it too to feel like they were part of that experience. It's actually a real thing called secondhand reach. Ah. So it's kind of capitalizing on helping artists capitalize on FOMO, <laughs> fear of missing out and, and secondhand reach. And instead of just having a per artist thing, we have it so that it's an open marketplace. So I may go in there cause I know you're playing but Merch Cat, has, Merch Cat fan will have a featured artist. So there 
are ways people get curious. Oh, let me see who the featured artist is or what their merch looks like. And then we have in the profile a way for fans to explore more. So there, the links to the artist's website, Spotify, socials and stuff like that. So it's not just kind of a, a funnel. They can actually step outside of MerchCat, the MerchCat world and explore the artist further. Right now upon launch, which hopefully will be in the next few weeks, um, there's the ability to share your merch purchase on your socials and with your contacts. So that's mm-hmm. how a fan could say right then and there, like, look at this cool shirt I just bought. Like, don't you wish you had it too? <laughs> and help artists kind of spread the word to other artists. And in the second and third iterations or whatever of, of this app, we want to have more social features like a Venmo feed um, where it shows what people are buying and, mm. and things like that. So people may see, because there are people who, who buy merchandise because they like the design. Right. And it has nothing to do with the artists. That's and true. so we wanted to be able to help artists who have cool art and things like that be able to be exposed. And we'll figure out, you know, my brain is always going. <laughs> so we'll figure out additional ways to help artists get exposure with, with messaging and, and things like that. But at the foundation. Yeah, like a way to connect on Facebook Messenger or something like that. You know, would be, and I was, of course, my brain is working too as you're talking. And I'm thinking, you know, whenever you buy something, a lot of times it allows you to get an email, a receipt by email. And is there a way we can then immediately add those, you know, let them check a box and allow them to add, be added to our email list? Oh, we have that. Do yeah. you? Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad. <laughs> yeah. So basically, as soon as a fan buys something, they are automatically opted in to the email list, they have to unclick it. <laughs> okay, but and does it, it does give them a warning so they know, you know? Uh, well, in the more, in the more tab, it's green. So ah. they'll see it if they go okay. into the more tab. Um, and then we, on the, so one thing I should note is that MerchCat fan is connected to MerchCat. It's connected to the artist tool. I don't know if that was obvious. So basically the artist will control their MerchCat fan features from MerchCat. So their their profile information and, and their photo and, and all of that. Can stuff. they like feature a certain thing of, you know, piece of merch each month? We don't have that yet because right now it's feeding directly off of the artist store that they would see on their own ah. device. But yes, I mean, those are all thoughts being able to, you know, have fans liking things and, you know, trending items right. and, you know, artists to be able to send push notifications to say like, hey, check out our new shirt that we just added to our merch line. Like those things are definitely there. But my thing was that there are fan apps out there, you know, fan experience apps and stuff like that, but there's no app that's connected to where things originate from. And and that's really the artist, especially from a merch perspective, it's, it's the artist's pool of, of merchandise. So there's central inventory tracking and central sales tracking. So whether the fan buys it from their own app or the artist sold it at their merch table, it's one report. Right. There's differentiation in the report, but it's one set of reports. So the artist doesn't have to go over here and say, okay, what was done in there? What was done That's here? That's so nice. Yeah. Um, one, like I said, one pool of inventory. And then again, the, the fan data gets stored 
uh, in the artist merge cat app. Right. So um, it's just email right now. We do have a Facebook sign up with, um, with the fan app. So there's probably other information. I mean, I know there's other information that we can collect, but we'll have to kind of dig into that down the road. Cause now with all of these privacy laws and stuff. Yeah. So that was kind of thinking about privacy laws about the automatically. Yeah. I think the email address is fine because they purchased something. Right. And I, you know, I don't know how I'm on half the email list that I'm on. <laughs> Things that I definitely have never signed up for. Right. But, and, and actually, the fan app is only in the United States. I mean, it'll be available for other countries, but we're, we don't have international. Uh, so MerchCat Fan will, will generate a shipping label for the artist. Mm. And we add the, the shipping in. And then the artist is responsible for their own fulfillment. But we don't have the ability to ship overseas right, right now because of customs laws and stuff like that. I'm sure there's a way around them. Yeah. or a way to deal with a courier that takes care of it, like FedEx. I heard that FedEx was doing something. But at the onset, and to kind of see what happens, it, totally. it's just, we're providing yeah. a label. It's, it's the United States. Um, and that, you know, the big privacy changes were for the EU. So right. I'm not too, too, too no, that's good. It, that's true. You know, that's it's, it's in the back of my mind. I'm aware of it. But collecting the email address, unless people start complaining, because assumably the person is in the app and buying something from you because they want to support you. So, Oh, no, totally. And I just know with Square, like I would collect someone's email address to send them a receipt. But then I'd be like, well, this is not connected. I'd have to like go physically add it. You know, it's so right. it's nice and, that it's so integrated. Yeah. And, and that was the whole, from the things that I was seeing and, and from a business perspective from a management perspective, I kind of made my wish list happen. And, you know, every day I'm thinking of new things and my developers are just looking at me like, uh, put it on the list for down the road. Cause right. we're never going to get this done. <laughs> if you keep adding things, like it needs to get out there. Yep. That's why um, apps have a lot of updates. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so you exactly. Can- exactly. So whatever it doesn't have, but the, the, what I was trying to get at before is that, and I think this goes for a lot of just things in business is like you, it's great to have all the bells and whistles, but you really need the foundation first (laughs) in order for things to function properly. So we started with the foundation. We added the social share was something that I was kind of adamant about having at the onset. And then I have a lot of other ideas to to add to it, but you know, it's like, but first you know, in the morning, it's but first coffee. <laughs> yeah. In this sense, it's like but first the foundation, which is the central inventory tracking. Knowing, I have a there's a an app called Sidestep, and they have a lot of uh, kind of like high level artists on it. I think Beyonce is is an investor in it, and one of the early complaints that I read about what they were doing is that people would order from their app and then get it's a skip the line app or go to a separate line app mm-hmm. and they would go to the show and sidestep didn't have the items so people were buying stuff and then they couldn't get it mm. <laughs> and that's probably because it's not connected to any inventory right and they're dealing with the label and everything you know as a secondary measure or they're dealing with them directly, but it's like, Hey label, give me 50 t-shirts 
and the label is like, sure, we'll give you 50 t-shirts. And then the label doesn't deliver 50 t-shirts. Now that company is screwed, you know? So with Merch Cat and Merch Cat Fan, it's connected and it's directly driven off of what the artist team is doing. So it's all encompassing and, and it's kind of managed together in there. Like, yeah, it's great to provide a service so people don't have to do certain things, but if it's not connected somehow and you're relying well, on... Well, it's not a real of, service if you show up and your thing isn't there, so... Right. <laughs> right. And yeah, and if you rely... The more people you have to rely on to get stuff done, the less likely of it being able to come together. So yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like, all right, with, with this, it's like you put in 10 t-shirts, you can allocate some to be sold through your store when your show is open. Like if you have 10 shirts and you want to leave five shirts for the people who are at home and like not at the show, then, and to have for a ship to home, like they're not picking it up at the show, then you allocate five items out and you'll have five at the show and then people can buy. And, and that's the way it is. Like you're controlling right. how your inventory is dispersed and we're controlling the keeping of the data. <laughs> No, I love all of this. And it, it's been really helpful to hear all the specifics because my accounting mind, of course, is thinking about all these things. So um, it has been really helpful for you to tell us all of the great things that Merch Cat can do. Can you tell us how artists can go sign up? Sure. Uh, the way that I recommend everybody signing up is through our website, MerchCat.com, because you can sign up through a lot of people download the app and just sign up through uh, iTunes. But if you want to, we hope you stay with us forever. But if you want to cancel or there's an issue, I really don't have much control over the accounts that are are done through Apple because they control everything. Right. And it actually helps us more because Apple takes 30% of our revenue that comes through there. So it's just like we like to have direct to fan things and like eliminate the middlemen that take big percentages of our income for artists. You know, we like to have the same too. So go to our website, sign up there. Um, and then just download the app. Absolutely. And I know you guys are all over social media. So how can people connect with Merch Cat on social? We are on Twitter and Insta under Merch underscore cat. And we also have an account for Merch Cat Fan now. So it's just at Merch Cat Fan. And then Facebook is just Merch Cat. There's no underscore there. So those are our socials. Um, I'm on LinkedIn just under my name probably find me through MerchCat and I'm happy to connect with artists there as well. And then um, my email is B as in Victor, F as in Frank, E-R-R-E-R at MerchCat.com or if that's too difficult, info at MerchCat.com will come to me. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been really really great because I'm getting to hear you from the artist development side and you know what bands really need to focus on and then from the more like detailed side of how we can actually make more sales by knowing exactly what's going on on yeah. the merch side. Yeah, I mean I'll just leave like it at this. There there's really no other facet of music where you can invest $5, sell it for $20 and put $15 in your pocket or your bank account, like immediately. (laughs) So think about that, you know, and and that money is, unless you have a label or a manager, like that's all yours. So good point. So 
you guys need to think about more merch if you don't have any yet because it really is one of the best, most profitable ways to make money as a musician. And, and we do help artists uh, now source merch as well. Oh, that's so, a great thing. Yeah, we, in, in, in my travels, I definitely found that there was, artists just need to know where do I get merch? How do I sell it? And how do I engage my fans with it? And that's really the, the ecosystem that, that I'm building. No, that's really good because I see those questions in my groups all the time, the groups yeah. that I run on Facebook and people are like, where's the best place to get this kind of, you know, beer mugs yeah. or whatever. And, it is and we really do. I mean, we're conscious of artists need to be able to order smaller quantities at good prices and they need like not a Hanes BVT. They need stuff that people will buy. Right affordably and not every artist has a thousand dollars to invest in, in a merch business at the onset. And, and that's something that I, uh, a point that I like to make, like, don't be afraid of merch because you think that you need to have a thousand dollars to, to invest. You can start small. There are places and, and we can help you with that, you know, where you can, you can spend $200 or even less than that and and get started and then just sell those things and put that money back into your merch business and grow it out from there. Mm, awesome. Thank you for mentioning that. I think well, because I feel really like a lot of artists are are averse to having a merch business, we'll call it, because they you know they think that there's that barrier to entry. And and it if you're going to sites that say that you need to order 144 shirts at, at eight dollars each, yes, <laughs> that that will seem like a barrier to entry, but there are the other kinds of places do exist where you can get less and, and at good prices. So Awesome. And go to merchcat.com and you guys can uh, get connected and find out, you know, good places to get merch at prices that you can afford. Perfect. Yeah. I just, um, I know we're like out of time, but I just want to throw out there um, some resources for the listeners that I, some that, that I use myself and then just from, you know, my peers in the industry, HypeBot, everybody should subscribe to HypeBot because I think that they have a lot of useful information and tools. They have uh, every Saturday, I think it is, it's, uh, there's a, a DIY uh, newsletter that goes around and they also, um, feed off of music think tank sometimes. And I've written a couple of things on there, a couple of blogs on there. So HypeBot definitely for, for resources. Um, a couple of conferences, the CD Baby DIY Musician Conference. Uh, there's a new conference in Charleston, South Carolina called Charleston Confab. They've been doing a really excellent job the last couple of years of getting like top-notch industry people there to to see artists perform. So they're kind of, it's, it's a balance between conference and, and showcase, but I feel like they're a little more heavy. Uh, the panels are during the day and then the showcases are at night and they usually don't overlap. Um, but Dave who runs it has definitely, he, he makes it his, he's a former radio guy um, in the industry and he really tries to get quality people there to benefit the artists. So Charleston Music Confab, my friend Suze is the rock star advocate. She has a podcast. I highly recommend it. And she actually started her own musicpreneur mindset summit. So she's a mindset coach to help balance uh, the, the 
other side of being an artist, the, the non-business side, which is, you know, keeping your sanity and how to be organized. And Yes, and absolutely. Like She's a great resource mindset. for that. I I had her on my uh, my summit a few months ago, so she's okay. Yeah, and so um, Reverb Nation, Tune Tracks, um, artist platforms where you can put up your music and things like that. Our friend Indie Hitmaker, who helps artists um, keep report their sales to SoundScan um, and Billboard and Buzz Angle Music. Um, Indie hip maker kind of can guide you on a record release as well. And just other tools, MailChimp subscribe. Um, MailChimp has a, a form that you could put at your merch table that feeds directly into your MailChimp list. So no having to copy and decipher people's handwriting. I love that one. You could just stick it on your merch table. I mean, it's a, you need to have an iPad, um, but you could stick it on your merch table and things just flow in Canva for graphics. They have a free version to make any kind of graphic that you, that you need. I've used it to make flyers. I've used it to make business cards. I've used it to make uh, social posts. And I just think that for a non-graphic designer person, it's the next best thing to be able to have like quality graphics and then you can uh, you can um, export into like high res PDF for printing from there as well as PNG and I think JPEG. So Canva is great. And as you can tell, I made a list. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, I think that was most of it. Um, Women in Music, the organization, I think, what is it, 50 bucks a year? Yep, 50 bucks. I think that the access and resources, I mean, there's a lot of email traffic that comes through, but you just never know when the thing that you're looking for <laughs> or the thing that you need may come your way. And you could also put stuff out there. Yeah, too, you can ask. Requesting help. Yeah. Uh-huh. And for recommendations, which I find is is really helpful because word of mouth is is everything. And we artists, startups, and, and all of us don't don't really have time and money to waste on on working with the wrong organization on on things. Totally. Um, whether it be a merchandise person or anything, really. Um, website builder, graphic designer. And then um, CD Baby's analytics, and I know that Spotify has them and everything. Like, look at your analytics to see who is listening to your music. It, it's not just about what song of yours is trending on playlists and stuff like that. It's, it's really about you can assess where people are listening to your music. So if you're planning a tour, you can plan your tour based off of that. I mean, obviously, you have to look at other factors too. But, you know, where people are listening to music, who's listening to your music, demographics, age, gender. If 90% of your audience is female and in your merch business, you're not having a female t-shirt, like there's something wrong there. You need to rethink that. So like knowing who your audience is can be used for so many different things. So CD Baby aggregates um, in one place. They have uh, Apple Music. If you release a record on CD Baby, they have Apple Music, um, iTunes Store, and Spotify. So you can look at all of those on, uh, it's free on their dashboard. And like analytics are available in a lot of places. I 
know myself. I don't always have time to look at like the social analytics too, but they're there. So use them. Awesome. That's it. Awesome. Thank you so much for all these awesome uh, tools. And I, I totally agree with all the ones you mentioned. Yeah, I probably less than that, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so Next much. Time. This has been really, really helpful. I really appreciate it. And I definitely think we need to have you back once you have some more um, like data with the fan. Yeah, the I can't wait. I'm, I'm really excited just because I know that that merch cat is, in, is important, but I really. I don't know. I feel like this could be, it's just a, a way for artists to expand their reach in, in all ways. And I have, uh, Oh, another tool, sorry, art tracks. So my former project manager and just former, because we're all busy. Um, <laughs> he created this tool for artists to put, uh, audio to a picture. I mean, to video. Okay. In matter of, minutes or hours depending on what type of video you want to create but like for instance we could take a picture I could post a picture of me or whatever and have this podcast behind it and then I could post it as a video on social media right or YouTube like immediately without any kind of video knowledge or or anything and it's it's great for music releases you could have a still picture and put a song to it and, and blast it out because video content is, is the most viewed content I believe out there these days. So, um, art tracks, it's, uh, also, a artist friendly pricing. And I just think it's, it's a fabulous tool. I I've used it with, uh, this last release that I did with the band, um, that I'm working with. And also I've used it personally for, um, for Merch Cat. And what I was getting at with that was that I had the crazy idea of in the, the artist profile, when they're uploading their picture, maybe, and I'm discussing this with him, we could put an art track in there mm. so that it's the artist's picture, but then people can hit play and hear a song. And a song. That's perfect. Yeah. That's a so, great idea. Because we weren't really about music. You know, I didn't want to be like streaming anything or... right wanted to keep it merch centric, which music is, is part of merch, but just natural curiosity, I think for people is to want to, or maybe we just do that with the featured artist. We, we have the music last, but that's why right. I have the links for people to go hear the music. But I think to have it right there front and center too, can also just kind of like solidify. Oh yeah. The, that would be really cool. I think. Yeah. And for fans right. to like get them really hooked in. Right. It's like, Oh, this design is cool. Let me press play. Oh wow. Yeah. <laughs> sign me up sell me an album uh you know so anyway awesome well that's really helpful uh, another really helpful tool for sure yeah all right well thank you so much this has been very helpful you guys go check thank out archcat.com thanks a lot vanessa now go out and make great music connect with your fans and grow your business female entrepreneur musician has been brought to you by femusician.com and femalemusicianacademy.com with editing by Jen Eads of 317 Sound Design and music by Stella Ronson.